Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This week, the Bookshelf Cinema is screening Birdman, Advanced Style, Unbroken, Backward Class, Mr. Turner, and more. On Sunday, April 19th at Harcourt United Church, Michael Harris reads from Party of One, which is his book about Canadian Prime Minister Stephen Harper and this country's radical makeover. On Friday, March 13th, the E-Bar hosts Queen of Craft, Beer Wisdom for Women. This is session two. Party pairings, brews, chocolates, and cheese. Almost sounds like a ween album. The bookshelf is an independently owned culture hub located at 41 Quebec Street in Guelph. More information about their hours, listings, blogs, and accessibility, please visit bookshelf.ca. Creative Control with Beach Comic. Before I get to uh, this particular episode, I want to remind you that the Long Night with Vish Kana talk show that I host from uh, time to time, well, once a month really, from November to March, is part of the Long Winter Festival in Toronto. Season finale of Long Night is happening this Friday. It's also the season finale of Long Winter. It's our last Long Winter. Uh, we went a little more ambitious this year. There were more auxiliary events. There's more events even coming outside of Toronto. At least that's the plan. So it's been a big year for a long winter and a busy year. And we're wrapping things up with our, you know, our proper series on Friday, March 13th at the Great Hall, which is the corner of Queen and Dovercourt in Toronto. And uh, everything begins around 7 p.m. And there's lots of great musicians and, and artists and all sorts of stuff happening. And you can go to torontolongwinter.com for more information about it. Um, as things pertain to me and, and this show on some level, my Long Night with Vishkana talk show is happening at 8.30 in the Black Box, which is in the basement of the Great Hall. And my guests this week are Scott Thompson of Kids in the Hall, uh, Damien Rogers, Toronto poet Damien Rogers, Shadowy Man on a Shadowy Planet member Don Pyle, and also a musical performance by Overnight. So if, you, if you're in the Toronto area and you can come, please do. 8.30, Black Box. If you can't come uh, and all goes well, you'll still be able to hear this episode as I distribute it via this podcast. So that's just something I wanted to remind you about. Again, 
torontolongwinter.com for more information. On this episode, Dan Mangan and Blacksmith. Dan Mangan is a, a guy who I've come to know a little bit over the last few years. I first encountered his music when I worked for the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, and I saw him ascend. He became very popular. It seemed very quickly, but, you know, it, 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 time kind of blurs by, you know? But he was this kind of folky troubadour, I would say a little cutesy. I think he might even say a little cutesy, and over time... His sound evolved, and now, with his latest album with his band Blacksmith, uh, the album is called Club Meds. This is the most challenging, complex record they've made. Total departure from everything, really, that they've done before. And uh, they've been kind of talking about that a lot, and I wanted to talk to them about why they're talking about it so much. So, uh, Dan Mangan and Blacksmith were in Guelph recently, so I sat down with Dan and a member of Blacksmith by the name of John Walsh, who is not the former host of America's Most Wanted. Different guy. Plays bass. We talked about his bass a little bit. Anyway, I think it was a good conversation. Frank, open. I just wanted to get a sense of where Dan's head was at. And uh, that's what you'll hear. You'll hear us having a chat, and you'll hear new music by Dan Mangan and a blacksmith. So here you go. Enjoy the show. Get ready for Kazoo Fest 2015, taking place throughout Guelph between April 8th and 12th. Musical acts include Deerhoof, Home Shake, Last X, Fedre, Scott Merritt, Tyvek, Lido Pimienta, Absolutely Free, Jeffrey Lewis, and many, many more. There will be art by Sherry Boyle and Jen E. Norton, plus dance, print, multimedia, and much more. Visit kazookazoo.ca for ticket and schedule info, and do not miss Kazoo Fest in Guelph this April. by asking about this Hofner bass because it looks very attractive to me although it also looks like it's banged to hell it's uh, 1965 but uh, the finish is fairly cracked on it and uh, some of it's coming off because of the cold weather because it sits in a trailer in minus 20 oh no so uh, I've been having some um, yeah finish issues with it but uh, it is a beaut and I got it for a smoking deal <laughs> did you really? yeah where'd you get it? Uh, eBay you got Actually, it off eBay. I've never bought an instrument on eBay, but I was like, whoa, two grand for a 1965 Hofner is like, that's a steal. Now, uh, this is a bass that was popularized by Paul McCartney of the the band Wings. That's and right. uh, <laughs> he was also in the Beatles, but is, is that why you were seeking one out? Well, actually, uh, when we recorded Club Meds, um, I borrowed my friend's 67 Hofner. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were looking, I, I think the last two records I'd done with Dan, I'd only ever used my jazz bass and kind of just one sound. And uh, we were really looking for a variety of sounds. So I borrowed a P bass, I borrowed this thing, I borrowed this old like uh, uh, vector bass or something like this, and then I had my, my jazz bass. Uh, and so when, when we finished the recording and we were like, kind of like ooing and aahing over like the tone of this particular sound, Dan's like, you gotta, 
you got to get one for the road. <laughs> you did you, you so this was sanctioned by Dan like you have to get Well, one. I mean, I totally agreed with him. I wanted one after playing one. I was like cuz I never really spent time with it, but in the studio I was like I was like, "Oh man, this sounds so good." <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. And we were going through and look an old Ampeg B15 as well, which is like you know, megatone. So th- explain the tone. I'm just curious for people who don't know enough about bass. Like, uh, you know, people see people switching guitars and not, mm-hmm. you don't often see bass players switch basses, but sometimes they do. What yeah. exactly did you get out of this thing that you wouldn't get out of a, a jazz bass or a P bass or something? Um, it has, uh, well, it has that Beatles tone. Like it has that old sort of like direct sound, right? I think when, when Paul McCartney actually recorded, he would just plug directly into the board. He wouldn't go through an amp. And so you have this, like, it's just like the sound of those pickups sound more distinct than most of the bass. I don't want to say, like, it, it's kind of trebly. Like, it's a little bit, it's, yeah. it, it doesn't have, like, this huge kind of boom to it, but it has this really kind of pillowy, boom, you know, kind of thing. And it's that, got a lightness to it? It's, it's got, lightness. yeah, it's got texture, hmm. you know? And okay. uh, my jazz bass is pretty versatile, but, uh, it, you know, it goes from smooth to, like, rock, you know? But it doesn't really have that it doesn't like nothing sounds like that yeah no it's it, yeah. I, I noticed it right away because i'm like that is a historical <laughs> yeah instrument it has a lot of significance so i was just curious and you've got it for some reason people can't see this we're in your dressing room here at the riverrun center it's just on display it's just like on a stand <laughs> there's no reason why it should be out as far as i can tell you just like well actually i'm i'm gonna uh masking tape the the, the bits of finish that are coming off oh okay. in, just so they don't like get peeled off i already lost a chunk on the on the bottom end so uh, purely precautionary. Now, among it's a very wise thing to do, by the way, to do a winter tour in Canada, yeah, yeah where you're, where you're, you know, all of your gear is coming in and out of negative fifteen to negative thirty yeah. every day. Are you finding yourself out of tune a lot? And like, are you? Yeah, I mean, by the, by the, it's like by the time we're sound checking, it's a few hours out of the trailer. But yeah, okay. that you gotta keep them in tune. It's a bit of a thing. One of the big things about this promotional cycle uh, for this record, and I want to talk about a few different things, but among the things is that uh, this is an actual band now. This is this is Dan Mangan and Blacksmith. It's not just Dan and some array of backing uh, backing musicians or whatever. So when Dan orders you to buy <laughs> a Hofner bass, do you have to go like, all right, Dan, like here's how much it would cost. I did some field research. Well, if I didn't totally agree with him, I'd be like, eh. I don't think I'm going to buy one. But I was like, yeah, I want one. So is there like an accounting department that's part of Blacksmith that you have to go to (laughs) and be like... Something like that. (laughs) I did did some bids. I went around. Here's... I got the survey. This is the best deal. Let's just say say Dan helped facilitate the uh, acquisition of this particular piece. (laughs) Yes. He was very instrumental in that. It's very kind of you, Dan, to do that. You just like the sound of it. Yeah, you know, I really like the Hoffner bass and uh, I I think it was like a short-term loan, Johnny. uh, Oh, (laughs) I see. Now I'm getting really... Paying it off. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't quite afford it at the time. We weren't touring uh, for the last two years, so. <laughs> One of you comes. Things have been real dry, Vish. <laughs> real dry. It's been a rough time. Uh, um, among the aspects of this promo cycle is the word. Uh, I keep coming across the word "nice," and the idea Weird. like you have been very like. Okay, now first of all, you have a record called "Nice, Nice, Very Nice," Dan, and it came out a few years ago, and. By many accounts, this was what really brought you to a lot of people's attention and all that. But I noticed, maybe pointedly, that you initially came out saying, like, I don't want to be known as a nice guy anymore. <laughs> and I wonder what this consists of. Are you going around kicking people in the nuts? Are you cutting people off in traffic? Why it, don't you want to be nice? I, I know. I th- here's the thing. I think that 
I'm still as nice as I've ever been. I'm a pretty nice guy. You gave me a hug when we show, when yeah, I showed up. I'm a hugger, you know? Yeah. You got me to buy that base. That's so nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I did have pliers on your balls at the time, you know? But um, I just, uh, I think that the, the sort of caricature that was drawn, I mean, I think that anybody who's even remotely in the public eye is going to go through some sort of, like, uh, issue of being labeled as one thing. Mm-hmm. Now... One, it's just like, I literally promise you I have not worn a plaid shirt in at least five years. I'm wearing a plaid shirt right now. You look what great. Is, looks do, fantastic. What does that have to do with anything, though? Every article or every, like, like at least half of the articles will say like, oh, plaid wearing, like bearded, friendly, nice guy, Dan Mangan. And it was sort of like, what I found was that all these articles would would sort of just plant this uh, sort of uh, label or box of who I was before they talk about any of the music or any of the lyrics or anything. And it was sort of like they'd established this idea that was very simplified of, of who I was. And so I think that I'm as nice as I've ever been, but the music has sort of is, you know, maybe leaning less on that. And the music has gone in all these kind of other other directions. But you're smart enough to know that a media manipulation of someone in your position is simply, it's meant to simplify the way they convey a message. Totally. And you <clears throat> are, you're kind of an innocent bystander slash victim of that. Well, and that's what I mean. Is like anyone in the public eye, even remotely, is going to yeah. go through that, right? Yeah. Um, so I, you can't fight it. You also can't like... You can't determine what other people think of you. I mean, that's, that's, that's ridiculous. But you know? I would say, <laughs> in the articles <laughs> I've read and in hearing you talk, it does seem like you want to uh, uh, kind of assert some control over this message. You mentioned that this yeah. plaid shirt, lumberjack, whatever the hell they said you were, it seems like something you're not only trying to shake off, but disprove. Maybe, yeah. I mean, this, there's probably some of that in me. It's, it's like I, I'd like to think it's not as manipulative or calculated as that, but it's probably deep in there. There's some of that for sure. Like, you know, the, the desire to sort of, if, you, if, if, every, if every day you're walking around and saying, oh, Vish, you're a triangle, man. You're a true, yeah. you're, you know, and you'd be like, well, I don't, I don't really feel like a triangle. I feel more like an octagon today or something. But, I mean, I, you know, I go through it here and there, not as much as you. I'm not, uh, you know, my profile is very low, but at the same time, yeah, people foist an opinion about you on you yeah, and then yeah. it follows you around for a while and you can't, you either go nuts thinking about it yeah, or you, you just keep moving like a shark. Well, it'll, yeah, it'll, <laughs> it'll keep you up at night, you know? Like it if, does if, sometimes. If you, the other thing is that you can't... So, okay, you can't believe those things where they're labeling you as one thing. And, and if you... It's, it's the same thing as like if they were labeling you as... You know, I remember for a while, Grimes, I really, they were talking mm-hmm. about Grimes, they'd be like, she's the coolest person in North America. Like, that was like a, mm-hmm. like, that was like a thing. Like, people would start their article, like, like, I'm, like the coolest person in music right now. That's horrible. Like, can you imagine going around trying to live up to the label of being the coolest person? Like, that's ridiculous. That's the stupidest thing. And so if you listen to the good things, like... Let's let's say somebody said you were the best interviewer mm-hmm. in in North America Thanks, of your time. Thank you. Right? Thank you. I appreciate that. And so, if you carried that around, you'd be spending your time not being you. You'd spend your time trying to be the version of you that you think that people think 
exists. Right. You know what I mean? And the thing that people might be magnetized to in the first place is you. So then you've lost the plot. Mm -hmm. Then you're no longer being the thing that got you the attention. You're being the thing that you think people expect of you. Now you're, uh, you guys are a relative, still a relatively young unit. Does any of this stem from living through or suffering from some are kind of... young? Well, you're not young as dudes. Totally. <laughs> Only 29, man. How long, have this, how long has this configuration been going? It's actually about seven years. Okay. Johnny and I have been about seven years. And okay. Kenton as well, and some of the other guys. So seven years is, is a significant period, I think, for... But what is this, your fourth record? Fourth record. Fourth record. Okay, yeah, forget it. Maybe young is the wrong term. Um, certainly in... No, no, it's happened. <laughs> <laughs> Where was I going with this? I was going to say that something... Maybe I'll stall and ask John a question because I had a really good question I wanted to ask I'm you. Sorry, I interrupted. No, no, no. I'm just trying to think. That's not very nice. Interrupting people, derailing <laughs> See, he's them. Really not nice anymore. How do you, being in blacksmith, deal with the perceptions of Dan? Uh, like, the, how does it impact you? Uh, well, it's funny because we played on all the records that you know people get this image from, right? Like the nice, nice, very nice record. So uh, having been with him at that period and grown with him uh, making these last three records, uh, you know, we, we want to, it's not like we want to help him fight that, you know, that thing, but it also is like, you know, we, like the music's not the same, we're not the same people, this is like six years later. Uh, so I don't know, it's, it's a tough, tough thing because we, we don't, it, it's like you, you're not, actively fighting it but it is like well it's you know i'm not i've worn plaid in four years or whatever i think where i was gonna what i was trying to articulate and i don't know if i actually said this word but i was gonna ask if you've already felt like you've experienced a backlash i say young band only in that i think critically you have been it feels like you're the, the dan mangan and blacksmith is a relatively new phenomenon still mm -hmm. uh and i think that as you ascended you had everyone on side almost like every all the critics seem to, you know, you've got all your plaudits from the critics. You've got fans, you know, finding out about you word of mouth. Everything seemed to be going fine. Mm -hmm. Is anything in this current, you know, in the way you've been conveying information, the record you made, right. is any of this a response to feeling unappreciated, feeling like you were there was a backlash? Do you oh, see where maybe. I'm coming from? Yeah. I mean, I don't I, I think that a lot of it comes from just wanting to try different things right and and feeling like the the other thing that kept happening to us was we'd put out a record and then about six to nine months later a band from somewhere else in the world would make a record that sounded kind of similar and they would blow up and then we'd get compared to that band and then i yeah. and then i would and then i would constantly be fighting this thing of like well no, we didn't. We're, we weren't trying to sound like them. We didn't even know they existed. You give know? me, give me. An, and I don't. I don't know if you want to name names, but just give me an example, because well, obviously sure. some, like, some I, of these have followed you around. Well, I remember that first Mumford and Sons record came out about eight months after Nice, Nice, Very Nice. Oh, and and of course it became this like massive worldwide phenomenon, and and you know we, we've met those guys. Those guys are total sweethearts. You know their their music is is. Uh, ready for the masses you know what i mean like it's like these huge massive very strongly produced kind of pop anthems with the folk element and so there was times when i'd be reading an article and i'd be like oh well this damn mangan he's just another guy copying the mumford mm -hmm, sounds mm -hmm. and so i think that there is an element that's like okay well i i'm done with foot stomps i'm done with tambourines like i don't I don't want to be associated with something that I was copying something that I didn't know existed when I made it. You know what I mean? 
And, uh, and so there is going to be an element. I think it's also just the zeitgeist. Like, you know, you get like the, like how many fucking songs have we heard where everyone goes, Oh, or Hey, you know? Yeah. And it's like, if you listen back, if you go back, the first time we ever heard that, or at least the first time I ever heard that was neon Bible. Right. 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 Mm-hmm. So you fast forward a couple of years and then it's in the Edward Sharp. It's in the Lumineers. It's in the, you mean no cars go. Yeah. Right. Okay. And then it's in, um, uh, uh, what's the, the, the band from, uh, Sweden or Iceland, um, monsters and men. Uh-huh. No, it's like, there's all these bands and it's like, they're, they're picking up on these little things. Right. And so if you feel like you're copying what's on the radio, then that's one thing. But if you feel like you're just doing what happens initially and out of your gut, and then you hear all these other bands doing it too. Like, I mean, I'm sure Arcade Fire is a little like. I don't know if they, if they, if they do that song now. They no still do it. Do they do the haze? Do they? They do them on stage. I don't yeah. think they're like pointing the mic at the crowd or anything. Yeah. But I've seen them do it. Yeah. Because I like, I'm, I'm curious. You know, like if you're Arcade Fire and all of a sudden you're hearing all these other bands doing what the thing that you did. You know, a couple of years before. I, I hadn't occurred to me <laughs> to draw that. I, I, I think you're totally right. We've heard all these haze and hoes. It's like the seven mm. dwarfs or something are <laughs> kind of circulating in the music industry, but I didn't connect that to Arcade Fire. That's that's really fascinating. Huh. That said, though, like we didn't actively go, oh, hey, we can't do that anymore. It was just like, I mean, with the influence of everybody in the band, it just kind of was like, well, we're doing this now, and yeah. that's not something that we do anymore. But in the, con- in the context of, because again, I think it's unusual for an artist or a band to be so self-aware in presenting a record. I'm not saying it's to your detriment, but I, as a music journalist who consumes stuff, I was like, wow, this is a very purposeful way of presenting mm-hmm. music. It's almost, before I had heard a note, I was like, he is preparing us for something mm. different. Well, even the, uh, the way that the opening track starts. Yeah. So it was a bit of a clearing of the air. You know, it's like, this is, I, I think, I think there was, that was probably on purpose, you know, uh, to some extent to, to start the record with something that was like, completely synthetic but you and i have and you've done more than me now i'm sure you've been to canadian every stripe of canadian music festival every folk festival and i have been i'm tired of the purposeful i'm going to win over this crowd by Mm -hmm. galvanizing them to all do a thing that i'm doing Mm -hmm. and you alluded to this earlier i'm not going to do the foot stops not going to do the sing-alongs this goes back to the the, ni- the nice thing, because <laughs> mm-hmm. on some level, what you used to do, and I don't know, I haven't seen the, the the band right now, it did kind of create this nice, pleasant sure. atmosphere. I think that we would create an environment where people felt like they could lose themselves, and part of that was through spectacle. You know, mm-hmm. like I really enjoyed running around through the crowd, you know, screaming at people, getting them to sing robots. Like, yeah, uh, it, at the time. You know, when that was really still a very spontaneous new thing to do, that was that was really exciting. That was fun. And we didn't see other bands. I didn't really know other bands that did that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. So I felt like we were doing something different. And now I've seen lots of bands who, you know, do stuff like that or end the, end the show, like, you know, acoustically in the middle of the floor and stuff. And yeah. You know, years after we were doing it. And it's not to say that we started it because it's like, you know, clearly I we picked up on something that was going on anyhow. Mm-hmm. But I think that's what I mean by the zeitgeist is like, you know, it's like with fashion or with food or any or like whatever is going on in the world. Once it kind of reaches a certain tipping point, there's going to be people that want to not have anything to do with it anymore. I, I feel like we're this is a constant battle between populism and uh, artistic integrity. I mean, we were talking about Wings and the Beatles <laughs> earlier. Yeah. 
and the Beatles became the biggest band in the world and then turned inward and art, art artier. Mm-hmm. And some people were along for the ride. Like now, in retrospect, we've all said the same. We, we all sort of agree that, well, maybe I shouldn't Sergeant say Sgt. Pepper's is better than Hold Your Hand. Revolver is probably better than Please Please Me. I, yeah, I think that's, or the White Album, which is totally, sure. totally. Kanye West, same thing. Like you'd go to see Kanye and he was so much about being liked and so much about getting everyone to sing along. And now he said the opposite. Now he... Mm-hmm. There's something going on, and I don't know if it's internet or what. I, I mentioned the Beatles, who are, as far as I can tell, pre-internet. <laughs> but there is this sense of social media where it's cool to be cool. It's cooler to be cool now. Mm. So many bands, so many artists are like, I'm not even going to talk to the press. Mm. I'm just presenting my artistic statement. So, But it's interesting, too, because the coolest people, in my opinion, are still willing to get vulnerable. And I think that that's a big deal. And so I don't think that you know, isolating yourself and putting a veil over yourself and saying, no, I, I'm so about the art that I refuse to talk about the art. And it's like, like to me, that's just protecting yourself. Like to me, that's not artistic integrity because that you're, you're, you're sort of allowing, it's like that, that's exactly what I think is over manipulation of your image. And stuff yeah. Like that, no. And, and I'm trying to find the, cause I, I listened to the record and if I forgot all the noise, that you've had to make in promoting this record and I just listened to the record it's a totally different record and it's totally seems pointedly different Mm -hmm. but it also seems like you are invigorated as artists like Mm -hmm. you're doing things that are challenging I was trying to think of other I don't want to again I'm not trying to I just there is a trend of people who make it win an audience and then are like, now I'm going to blow your minds. Yeah. <laughs> like right. from every, like the clash to, uh, you know, we talk about arcade fire who made a very divisive record recently after winning a Grammy, sure. you know, they got as big as they could get, uh, who was Wilco Radiohead. They, yeah. I, and I'm hearing some of these artists in your work. Well, I mean, all those artists that you're mentioning are artists that I really admire. So I, I mean, and all of those artists, favorite records of mine are generally the third or fourth one, you know, the and one where they get a little freaky, the one the, where they get weird, you know, and all of those are, every one of those records was a hard sell at first, right? Like they made Yankee hotel Foxtrot. They got dropped from their label. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure kid a was a bit of a hard sell mm-hmm. at first to the label. And it was a hard sell to people at first too. I mean, I remember being, I was like 17 or something when kid a came out and, um, Maybe a little older. I don't know. And um, and at first I was like, eh, eh, you know. And now it's like one of the most definitive right. sounding records of our entire generation, you know, uh, of modern music. And um, so I think that there's definitely, you know, as you get to be a bigger band, uh, there's more expectations that maybe what you're doing might be able to go on radio you know, those kinds of things, like from the label perspective, sure. Like they're, they're looking for radio because Mm -hmm. they want you to sell lots of records and get really big. And from our perspective, it was sort of like when I, when I, we were doing nice, nice, very nice, I was trusting my gut then, you know, and I was really into the acoustic troubadour thing. And that really struck a chord with me. And I'm doing the same thing now. It's, it's, it's like, I don't feel like I've gotten way more heady about it. I feel like I've just gotten better at trusting my gut and better at f- being able to find sounds that I like in the studio. There is an article about the new record in which you, you're quoted, the band is quoted as saying like, so people coming to see us, like don't expect to see, hear robots. Mm. One of your big singles. And 
I want to I want to ask you both to put yourselves particularly you since you mentioned hearing Kid A and being like, meh, put yourself in the position of a Dan Mangan fan coming to this record. Yeah. How would you feel? Um I don't know. <laughs> it sounds I'm, impossible. Uh, it's a bit of an impossible question, yeah. but put yourself in the position of a dyed-in-the-wool. I love when so, Dan comes out in the crowd and sings to me. I love that stuff. How do you... And I mean, the subtext of this question is basically, how do you think this is all being received? You're yeah. towards the, are you towards the end of a tour? We're about halfway. Yeah, I, I just want to know how you're feeling about... Uh, you put this thing out. You knew it was going to be a challenge. I, I kind of just want to get a sense of where you think well, people are at with it. It's been interesting on this tour because our first show was in Halifax. And we had just done like five days of rehearsal. And so we were getting really into the sort of production side of what's going on, figuring out our like things like monitors and stuff, but also figuring out how we're going to play some of these songs in a live context, because some of these songs are extremely like studio songs, like totally. these, like album songs. These are not big banging songs. So um, I think that from our perspective, we felt like we had on that Halifax show, we were so focused on getting it right that maybe we had lost some wild abandon, you know, and, and, and part of that wild abandon is just the, the looseness of letting go and, and sort of doing some of the, you know, connecting with the crowd more yeah. and stuff. And I feel like this tour has been us figuring out how to elevate the production. We have a bigger lights show than ever before. How do we elevate the production? I'm, I'm singing better than I've ever sung on this tour. Cause I'm actually figuring out how to sing. Mm -hmm. Like my whole life I've been like just, screaming through the pipes that I could and now I'm trying to figure out how to actually sing on key which is a different thing because if you're singing on key so focused on singing on key sometimes you don't emote as much well you, know? you you came off of um, Nice Nice Very Nice and you deliberately I thought you tried to make a grittier album with, mm -hmm. with O Fortune right mm -hmm. yeah that was after yeah okay I'm just I'm blanking on stuff yeah. I'm a dad I can't keep track of what everyone's <laughs> doing now uh, we hear you we're both dads yeah yeah, yeah exactly so uh I remember you saying like you should check out this album, man. It's gonna like I th I felt like you you wanted me to hear it. Yeah. Uh, as maybe a journalist or just as a guy, you knew like it's it's different. Like I remember that, and then this one comes about and it's totally totally different. And so I'm just I was just curious how people are dealing with it. Like have yeah. you had to make adjustments on the tour to be like this isn't working. We got to throw in one of the. I've been you know I think if you give people credit, the jet like they like people are kind of. They're, be they're, they're, they're smarter than you think they are sometimes. And on this tour, we've been giving people a lot of new material. And we've still thrown in, you know, some old fan favorites and some mm -hmm. old kind mm -hmm. of, you know, we're still playing Road Regrets on this mm -hmm. tour. We're still playing, um, you know, I play basket every night, um, which is sort of like the defining folky troubadour song of, of my body of Are work. Are you doing you know? it in the band in this kind of, with this tone? Nope, solo. Solo. You know, just playing it alone. Um, so I, I think it's just, I, people have been responding really well. Like, I mean, people, people who have been coming to the shows for six, seven years, who've seen us play nine times. Some, some people have said, oh, this is the best show I've ever seen you play. And, you know, I'm sure that there's some people who are disappointed and they're walking home and they're going, oh, I didn't do the thing I wanted to do. Well, I'm you, sure that's happened, but we're not hearing that feedback because we're not there. We're not in touch with those people. Do you want to know? Sure. No, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what people are saying. I do, I'm just curious. Bring it on. If you're, if you're, you know, you put yourself out there, and I mean, how important is sort of audience or critical feedback to what you do? Yeah, well, I mean, it's, I mean, it's important to everybody. I think if you're a performer, 
uh, there's a point you have to let go and just be like, well, we're just doing our thing and we really want to do it well. And hopefully people appreciate it. For me, it's, it depends on the quality of the feedback. It's not necessarily the good or bad of the feedback. Like if someone writes a review of us and doesn't like it, but writes it really eloquently and describes why, mm-hmm. I'm fine with that. Mm-hmm. Like, because the thing is, if someone writes, if someone doesn't like what you're doing, but it's just more more clear than anything that they didn't get it, that's then like there's nothing you can do. Like, okay. like, like, how do you? Like other than just like dumbing it down or something like that, like if someone doesn't get what you're doing and they don't like it, then they're just never going to like it. And that's fine. If somebody gets it and doesn't like it, then that's fine too. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a weird thing. I mean, it's, it's a balance between listening to whatever feedback or sort of swirling energies are around you and what you're doing uh, enough to sort of not get so lost in your egotistical artistic narcissism that you, you know, just go full on Kanye. <laughs> but uh, I'm curious, has artistic, like has being, there's no such term as artistic indifference, but there are certain artists over the time who have been uncompromising and they make their stuff mm-hmm. and the present, the, the way it's presented or even in, in historical terms, this becomes the thing of legend. Oh, they'd mm-hmm. made this challenging thing and they don't, they didn't care who liked it yeah. because they had already, and in most, in most cases, they already had the luxury of winning over a giant audience. Sure. Has that ever appealed to you? Because I, I think you came up very earnest mm-hmm. and very much about wanting to be liked on some level. Yeah. I, I don't know if you find this, you guys are both dads. Mm-hmm. I find since being a dad, I, I give less shits about that. Mm-hmm. Like, it's sort of like, Regardless of what the world thinks, I got this. I got this thing that's really cool. You know, I got this little guy at home, and he's the best. So it's like, on some level, I start to just back burner all the worries about what people think. That's interesting too. Your daddom, your 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 parenthood. Because I've been struggling with this myself as a, a newer parent who is trying to keep doing cultural work in a landscape that's shifting, and I'm trying to make some make something of myself somehow. Mm-hmm. Um. But you had a pretty sweet deal going. I mean, you could have stayed the... I mean, it wouldn't have been maybe as artistically fulfilling, but you took a little bit of... This is a roll of the dice, Mm -hmm. this record on some level. And maybe you're messing with a good thing. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) it it seems like everything's going fine. Is this the shows are all selling out and everything? But you could have just played it straight and narrow, Dan. Instead... You're like a scientist experimenting in a lab <laughs> with a formula that everyone was happy with. And you're right. like, no, I'm not happy. I got to fix this. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think like, there's like a famous Jim Carrey quote about you, how you can fail doing the thing you don't want. Right. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, yeah, sure. We could have stayed the course and, you know, just uh, purposefully tried to make something immediately consumable by radio and the masses or something. Um, but what if we did that and it didn't work? Well, then we would be career failures Mm -hmm. as well as the fact that we wouldn't be able to sleep with ourselves because we knew that we had compromised what we were doing creatively. So it's like at least if you fulfill your creative intentions and then if nobody likes it and it doesn't sell, at least, you know, you can sleep at night because you did you you did what you felt you had to do. Yeah. yeah. And then and in my experience, every time we've gone weirder, every time we've gone more experimental, people we've we've had a bigger crowd Mm -hmm. 
And we've had more international press on this record than we've ever had on any of the other records. Good or bad. Good. You just had, it's all good. It's been, it's been amazing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Like, like our, our, the press we've gotten in the UK and Europe has been I've like noticed that. Yeah, the across Guardian, the board, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, a, like, yeah. like a really profound things being said about this record. Straight A's. Straight A's. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And, uh, and so it's like, on one hand, you're like, okay, good. They get it. They get it. You know? And on the other hand, you have to not listen to that either. You have to be like, well, it doesn't matter because we're just focusing on trying to make a great record. Okay. Yeah. John, I want to ask about um, how Club Med's kind of unfolded for you. Uh, as much as, as we've kind of established that this was a band and it's always been a band, on some level, I presume that Dan is the one leading the direction sure. on some level. You know, where, where are we going? So you come off the last record and touring the last record and he's clearly artistically restless on some level, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Wants to do something different. How do you guys respond to this? Like, what is your... Are you all feeling this same feeling? Yeah, for sure. I think, I mean, between me, Gordon, Canton, I mean, those two guys are experimental jazz musicians, so they never play the same thing twice, which is always like, oh, you want to change? Great, let's change. Let's change all the time. Uh, I'm a little bit more in the middle of that kind of stuff. You're the I mean, bass guy. I'm the bass guy. I you've got to really, hold it down. down. Yeah, <laughs> you've got to hold it down. I literally am in the middle of everything all the time. Right. So, you know, keeping thing on a straight line. Um so, but I'm also like an improv musician as well. So like I, I can easily bend and go either way. And as long as the vibe feels good, I think we're all down with whatever's happening. Okay. Yeah. But when does, when does the tone for this record, which I mean, I don't even know how you identify the specific tone of the record because it's changing so much. Yeah. But when does the, when do you, when does it crystallize for you that this is not going to be a record like you've made before? Well, I think our last Canadian tour in 2012, um, I was, every sound check, I was like, playing this bass chord thing that became kitsch on the album uh-huh. and uh just because i was jamming with that every time we'd sound check and then the people would join in and it was kind of like and then i was like oh we should we should make that into a song and i was like oh well we've never done that before we've never co-written a song before so oh really yeah so that was kind of was like oh this could be this could be really cool and then of course gord has a song he's like hey dan check this song out and they were like wow that's really cool we should do that song together what song is that uh that's uh, a doll's house slash okay. pavlovia okay um, you know, and of course, Dan always has a couple, you know, three or four songs that are fully formed in his head and he kind of like says, here's a song. This is kind of what I like to do with. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Then we go, okay, that's cool, but maybe this, we put our flavor into it. Uh, and then he, uh, on this record, uh, the same thing. We came to the studio and he had like three like half-written songs that we were like, well, how, what are we going to do with this? And that was, you know, but before before all that, that was kind of the first indication during those sound checks where I was like, oh, you know, the next record could be could be really 
you know, diverse compared to the last. So as a band member, now this is interesting because the, what you guys, what I've heard in the press and read is that, uh, anyone who's calling this a new band or a band finally is out to lunch, but it does seem like, well, we've had more input on this. You've definitely had more input than you had previously. Oh yeah. Okay. Huh. That's interesting. So what, Mm -hmm. in the past, Dan would just come in with a song and you would try to flesh it out. Yeah. Yeah, uh, especially for Nice Nice. I mean, he'd been playing those songs for like three years. Uh-huh. Um, I think the only one that was kind of a group effort was like You Silly Git. Mm-hmm. But it was still a fully formed song. It was just more like the vibe was was something he didn't fully have in his head. And we were like, oh, how about this? And he was like, yeah, that's cool. So at some point in the proceedings, it just, the floor was open. You could bring mm-hmm. whatever, and, yeah. and that shifted things. And also while we were in the studio... Um, uh, the guys had more license and also actually like more responsibility to speak their minds. So it was, we spent 10 days doing beds and it was like, it was the four of us and Colin and, um, and it was sort of like if we, if one person wasn't happy, like we were going to keep working on it until everybody was happy. And there was some really intense moments. There was some, there was some like arguments and stuff. I've heard about this. What were the arguments kind of about? I don't want to dig too much. Yes, I do. Well, I kind of want to <laughs> dig a little bit. What, what were the arguments? Well, about? I mean, so, so there was like, you know, the mouthpiece, there was a moment there where it was headed into this like really like aggressive punk rock kind of like at some one point it sounded like Spanish metal or something huh. like that. And I think that Spanish Gordon... Spanish metal. Yeah, it was like... And it was just this like really intense sort of like... I don't know. It felt like pirate. You know, like... Pi- okay. like, like, like What's that band that does like... Like an elf elf metal? Like, well, the chain man. Oh, right, yeah. right, 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 right. Uh, I, I can't name, I can't really I can't name them right now. Slayer or right, like. right, right. And um, Dragon Force, yeah. And, Dragon uh, Force. I think okay. that's what it's called. All right. And so, like, there was a moment where I kind of, and I think Kenton and Gord were like, yeah, this is badass, let's do it. And I just, like, I was like, no, this is not happening, you know? And we got an argument about that, and then um, we did uh, a pretty good joke. We spent, like, eight hours trying to record that song one way, and it didn't work. And then the next morning, we recorded it a different way, and it worked. But those eight hours and, you know, the subsequent hour of arguing after those eight hours, everyone's tired, exhausted, and hungry, and sick of playing that stupid song. And then it turned out to be one of my favorite songs on the record, but it was this totally different thing, and we tried it from another angle. And so it was sort of like in several cases, even in Forgettery. Like there was a time when I was ready to just ditch Forgettery, just leave it off the record. And then and we finished the session of recording, and there was just something about it I didn't like. And like we went in like surgeons, and like Colin and I just basically replotted the whole song and like took it apart. Took it apart. We destroyed the choruses. We looped a drum part, put that in instead of what was actually played. And I very timidly sent it to the band. And I was like, okay, well, I just tore apart everything you guys did. What do you think? <laughs> you know? And so there was there were some moments where it was mm. like tedious, you know. But I what what's happened in the end is that um, through the mix, through the editing, through all that stuff, uh, we've gotten to a place where I, I believe everyone feels really solid about every song. I'm kind of sad that, for those who don't know Kenton and Gord, they're very um, forceful personalities. Very big personalities and very outspoken and very articulate guys. Yeah, and they go hard a little yeah. bit, like in every sense of the word. I mean, I think there's legends of your band touring across this country and drinking towns out of their whatever, Mountain Dew. <laughs> Couldn't have been them. No, know. no. So yeah, it's the, it must be. In, I've always found the dynamic interesting. Um, 
particularly when you were known as the teddy bear nice guy. And then mm. these guys did seem like pirates. I can see why they would want to make pirate music because I often think of them as these wild swashbuckling dudes. Yeah, yeah, they kind of are. But yeah, uh, lyrically, I picked up on a. You mentioned that you're. Is everyone in the band a dad now? No, Kenton is not. Uh, that we're aware of. Yeah, yeah. That old chestnut of a joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Bad dumb ching. <laughs> um, uh, and JP and Tyson. And also Jesse are all still unparented. Okay. So I've, uh, my wife and I were listening to the record just today and she, uh, in the throes of exhaustion, I guess. I don't know if you can be in the throes of exhaustion, but she just kept hearing your, it takes a village to, is it, it takes a village to raise a family. Is it what takes you, a village to raise a fool. A fool. And we were, she just kept saying family. It does take a village. It's true. We have our village. Like she just kept honing in on that. I guess she misheard it because <laughs> that, that, that fool part is slightly distorted. Yeah. You know, it's interrupted by another like uh, crossing line. But the expression, I guess the original expression is it takes a village to raise a family. Yeah. Or it takes a village to raise a child. A child. Yeah. Not a family. Yeah. Good. But so, I mean, yeah, I, mean, I think that that's something I've done quite a lot of in my lyrics is like take a sort of tried, tested sort of like society motto yeah. and then kind of twist it a little bit. That's I've enjoyed. So that. is there a bunch of dad stuff on the record? No, that's a, well, that song has nothing to do with being a dad. Not that one. I just yeah. meant on the on the album. Generally. Um, Cause you became a dad uh, before that we started 2013 recording. or something like that. Yeah, 2013. Yeah. Um, I would I, I would say that. There aren't songs about being a dad on the record, but there, there, me being a dad influenced the the writing. There seem to be songs about defeat, uh, grappling, like being in battles, being in some mm. kind of struggle, and 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 there seems to be a, a lot of weakness and strength going on. Yeah, it's been interesting here writing or hearing reviews. They talk about um, the line, "I I do not have the fight, I give in," you know that kind of thing from um, Offred. And that's a little tricky because people think that it, that's my narrative. But I'm actually singing through the character called Offred mm-hmm. from Margaret Atwood's uh, Handmaid's Tale. Oh, okay. So the whole song is sort of like in character, and that there's a you know there's there's things like that through a lot of these songs where it's like I'm being vague about what it's about. So I have to accept that people are going to misconstrue. Is this your least autobiographical collection of songs? Um, probably. I think people related to you. Trying to think of why, uh, yeah, I, I do think that people related to you because they felt like your lyrics were quite personal. Are you, mm. are you saying that that might not be the case? No, but I think these are the best lyrics I've ever written. Like I, I honestly believe that I was able to tap into uh, talking about really complex things in a simple and subtle enough way that I wasn't get being too hard nosed on one angle or another. You know, like, um, I think that, like, this is probably a little bit more political or a little bit more intense of a record lyrically. It's a little bit more, like, um, knives out, you know? Do you mean personally political? Like, interpersonal politics? Or do you mean, like, like poli- the world yeah, at large? Like the politics of the world, hmm. <laughs> as mad as a party going on outside. Uh, the politics know, of the world, but also how those politics ca- play through me, like... There's, I, the, the record, I think, is about a lot of like hypocrisy and sort of um, issues of, you know, just bullshit in, in our inability to, to overcome human frailty and greed, you know? And yet, 
all of those things that I'm talking about, and it's sort of like I'm pointing the finger at society. But I'm also talking about myself. Like I see in myself all the things that frustrate me about other people. And so I think that's, it's, well, that's it's, where the hypocrisy comes in a little bit. Sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like I, like I'm, I, I, at times will do things that are hypocritical. Is that a word? Hip, hypocritical. I like hypocritical. Hypocritical is pretty go with good. That. Yeah. But uh, you know what I mean? Like, I, like I think that it's, uh, you know, you, the, there's something about other people that drives you crazy. And then the thing that drives you, it, the reason it drives you crazy is because you see it in yourself as well. Yeah. And so I think that the, the record is, is less about like, you know, here's how we're failing and we suck. The record is more about let's be honest about the ways that we suck. And then maybe we can actually come to some kind of peace or some kind of, um, you know, uh, more slightly more compassionate or enlightened level of, of treating each other. I'm curious if any of this stems from being a Canadian living in this version of Canada. I, I, I think that you, you know, I mean, in our initial meetings, I was working for CBC and I saw you gain the trust of that audience mm-hmm. uh, on some level. Um, you know, you, you became a CBC friendly artist and I know that's probably something you hate more than anything. No, 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 no that's, okay. F- that's okay. That's okay. So how much of what you're talking about is a reflection of what you see happening in our country and, and how you engage with it? Totally. Well, and the, like the, there's a, there's a sort of theme in the song mouthpiece where I never actually, I wrote these lyrics down. I didn't use them in the song, but for a moment they were, and it was sort of like, don't question your subordinates because then your privileges will be taken. It's mm-hmm. sort of like if we're all on this sort of stratified la- like like ladder of privilege in the world, the second you start to shake the ladder about the people above you, well then you might get pushed down a couple rungs. It's sort of like uh, if you're in a if you're in a place at if you're at CBC and you don't like the direction it's going and you start voicing some opinions, well, maybe you'll be let go because the people above you don't really like you shaking the ladder. It happens. And it happens in every institution, right? Yeah. It happens. It's, it's a, all you have to do is watch the wire. You know, it's, a, <laughs> it's all there. It's all in there. People, um, people want, uh, it seems like most companies and countries now mm-hmm. want uh, people to put up with shit. Yeah. Well, it's, it's even like, it's, it's a tried and true colonial practice, right? Like if you move into a, uh, a, uh, uh, if if you're Britain, you know, three, 400 years ago and you're heading on into India, well, you divide up the people into a bunch of cows. You have to bring up that example. (laughs) We're still very sensitive about how that all unfolded. That's the thing. You divide people up and you say, okay, you guys get the, you guys get the dough, you guys get the guns, you guys get the tea, you guys get the, 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 all the best food and the booze and the people beneath you don't. And so as long as you just keep them in check, then everything's cool. And then we'll just keep the system going. And it's like on a on a on a level like that's happening all the time. Like you feel like that's happening in this country. I think it's in a, it's happening in humanity. I mean, you think you put a bunch of people in a cave, it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But so that thing, that thing of don't question, don't question the way that you are subordinate to other people, because then you'll then then you might lose the privileges that you have that keep you above other people, kind of thing. Don't question the way you're subordinate to other people. I'm trying to wrap my head around this. Don't. So are you saying don't question a th- no, what are you saying? What I'm saying is that like... <laughs> Sorry, I'm just trying to make sense of this because I think that's an interesting point, but I'm also like, am I getting this correct? It's sort of like, um, it, you know, it's the class of like, don't bite the hand that feeds you kind of thing. Right. But so what if the hand that feeds you is being a dick? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So that's why I'm confused about are we, in your from your perspective, 
Should we be questioning the government? Should Always. we be questioning the people Always. in charge Even of our if, company? Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, like, you know, I, I've been pretty clear. I, I'm not a big fan of, of the current government of Canada. Mm -hmm. But even if we had like an NDP government or a liberal government, we should question them just as much. Absolutely. Right? Sure. So it's all, what I'm getting at is the 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 in a, like the you know in the line in mouthpiece there's this a line that says question periods over don't you feel it i do mm -hmm. and it's sort of like yeah like i feel like like questions have been taken off the off the off the docket right like don't don't question anything we're just going to mandate ideological uh facts you know yeah, like, yeah. we're going to make assumptions and facts based on ideology that have nothing to do with evidence and we're going to say that that's how it is and we're not going to take any more questions we're not going to answer any questions that right. actually happen right and and it's not just in government it's it's, it's sort of like a it's a it's like a it's a thing it's also not that modern i think that it's probably always been there in mm -hmm. some in some level and i think that that's a part of the this record is that um a lot of these ideas that i'm talking about it's not like i just discovered them and they're brand new it's like, I, it's just that they're in my head and bearing witness to them and talking about them and discussing them is a cathartic way for me to process it so it doesn't drive me crazy. Yeah, no, I can appreciate that. You present this record to your label, Arts and Crafts. This was on Arts and yep. Crafts? Yeah. What do they think? They said the same thing that when we gave them a fortune. <laughs> they were like, well, you know, you might lose some of your audience. They said that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And did they ask you to change anything? No. Nope. They just no. said this is going to be in a both risk. in both cases they were entirely unmeddlesome. Really, which is beautiful. It's great. They trust you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they really do. They 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 really really trust me in in a way that I don't know. It might be even un, like uh, uh, unfounded. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Like like they they have a they have a deep trust and uh and they they kind of let us do whatever we want to do. i would think that they would be wise to nurture any decisions you make at this point because you've had such a, a long run of success well and that 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 seems to be the thing too is that like we've traveled in this direction you know we've talked about the sonic differences yeah and it's never like you know m maybe it, we were not selling out madison square gardens but it's like we haven't none of these creative decisions have like sunk the ship you know? No, no. And in fact, the ship keeps getting bigger and keeps going faster. So I, we have every reason to believe that tr continuing to trust our gut is going to continue to build this project. And you've, you've got Dave Grohl on a song? Yeah. What's the deal with Dave Grohl? Um, I was working on the soundtrack. Yeah. And Vessel was a big part of the theme for that soundtrack. The film was? Hector and the Search for Happiness. The director, Peter Chelsom, wonderful guy. Um, it's very close with Dave Grohl. Mm. Um, uh, they both live in LA and you know, swim in circles. And, uh, and so, um, uh, we went to LA, we showed Dave the film, played him the song. He liked it. He was into it. And, um, so I sent him the bed tracks and he recorded a bunch of vocals and some guitar. And then, um, you were never in the same, it was kind of a email. Uh, yeah. For all the recording stuff, I did go down and meet him in LA, uh, at his house. Um, which is beautiful, but, uh, <laughs> but, um, is that I, weird for you? It was pretty cool. Is he, I mean, is he a big deal for you? Like in your trajectory? Yeah. Like, like smells like teen spirit. Like, uh, you know, like Nirvana, give me a break. Like I spent so much time. Nell Carter, my... give me a break. That was also big. I didn't, I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't think Nirvana had anything to do with 
that show. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. You know, and she never. Was our first choice, actually. <laughs> yeah, it was her, there, so. and then and then Dave. Never so. mind. In utero, give me a break. All huge for me. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We were, it was either that or, or All in the Family. We're going right. to get Archie Bunker on there. Uh, poor Carol O'Connor. Long yeah. gone. R.I.P. R.I.P. Nell Carter but, and uh, uh, Carol O'Connor. I don't know where we, how we ended up here. You went down to Dave's house. Yeah, he's he's awesome. Like, obviously he's awesome. Like, everyone knows he's awesome. Like, <laughs> have you noticed there's a backlash about how awesome he might be? Everyone's like, he what, he thinks he's the nice guy and he's everywhere. Yeah. People are annoyed at him. Are they? I, I, but, I mean, he's sort of, like, taken over the internet a little bit in the last year. Like, he's, he's almost too present. Yeah, he I, did a good, uh, they did a nice job with that HBO thing and yeah. the album. And, and yeah. And the, the documentary about Sound City is really great. You know, it's like, not only is it great because it has a really great, uh, character, the soundboard, but it's like, you know, it's uh, he did a good job. He directed that film well. I've told you this before. Uh, when we first started encountering each other, maybe the first time we hung out was in Dawson City at the mm-hmm. Dawson City Music Festival. And at the time, the Burning Hell were up there, which is a great band that I love. And Bry Webb from Constantine's was doing his first solo stuff. Fred really. Penner was there. Fred Penner was there. But I made a point of telling you how uh, excited I was that you said to those guys while we were up there and the sun wasn't going down, you know, I'm going to be doing some touring and you were, you were just like, almost like you were peaking or no, mm. you're not peaking. Sorry. <laughs> but like your popularity. Was, there, there, there was a, there was a sort of a, there was an upswell of everything was going on for you at that time. And you're like, you know, I'm going to be doing some touring burning hell and Bri Webb. Like, can you guys do some dates? And I, I don't know if you remember this, but I was like, you did it. A lot of people in this music industry will say they're going to do a thing that might be a favor. Mm. But you did it, and I will never forget that. I always respect you for that. Oh, that's you cool. brought those guys on tour. I didn't see it as a favor. I just really like those no, bands. No, I you know, know but it was a like selfish thing. But it's you know how it works in yeah. this in this country or in this industry. Like as much as two bands might be friends, there's 20 people in between. Yeah, them yeah. and something actually happening you know i'd like you to open for me well there's a da, da, da. we we have a long string of disappointing agents you know it's sort of like, like like oh we got this great package this band you know they sell this much you said but yeah but i really i really want to bring my put, friend yeah you know, they i wanna, really want to bring my friend on the on the yeah, tour yeah, yeah yeah you know um but uh anyway my point uh my point uh, i don't know where we were going with that but my point is Grohl. i think you guys have a lot in common i think that he's always kept as much as he's become this, uh, you know, on some level, arena selling, theater selling, mainstream dude. I think he'd be the first person to tell you that he makes radio rock. You know, like 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 yeah. that, like what they're what they're doing. I, th- I think he's. I think what's so cool about him is that he doesn't have these like grand ideas. That he's this like modern crazy artist. Like, no, like, you but know, he, he takes. But he's, an, he's a great musician, and he makes he makes he makes pop songs. But he's interested in community building, and some mm-hmm. in some of the same way you are. He's often shining a light on obscure people and and i i don't know some people view it as gimmicky but i think that uh it comes from a good earnest like that guy he was in scream like i mean he's he's i don't know what happened he was in scream and nirvana and then (laughs) he's done a lot of stuff like why can't he share the you know he's trying to spread the wealth a little bit like and he'll be the he'll be the first person to like talk about uh uh no means no or like fuck buttons or something you know what i mean like 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 he'll He's he's always times I've sworn like five times on this. No, no, it's a podcast. It's fine. <laughs> okay, um, but he's yeah he's he's always talking about like the stuff that he was listening to when he was a teenager, and that's what got him into drumming. I think that's still in him, you know. Even though he's he's become this sort of icon of like L.A. living in a way, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. But you get him behind a kit, and he can the guy can play, you know. Like he's an, he's an incredible did you, drummer. Did you play at all? Did you jam at all with Dave? No, I didn't get to play. Isn't you just hung out it with was, him. And... It was all over email and mm-hmm. and text message. 
<laughs> he seems like a nice guy. I want to talk to him sometime. I do, I do have Dave Grohl's uh, phone number on my phone. Yeah, yeah, let's, let's call just call him. Let's call Dave and see just what he's doing. Him. No, no, no. I think that's great, and I, I think you've got that within you, too. I don't know if you're still doing it, but I remember that you were <laughs> very, very... I'm not nice anymore, Beach. <laughs> remember? Right. That's, that's yeah, all. you're on your own, you guys. Yeah. I'm fine. Eat yeah. shit, Bri Webb. So you, <laughs> so you make the soundtrack, and it, it does well. And, and that, I, from what I understand, you're making that soundtrack, and that bleeds into the sessions for this A little bit, sound. Yeah. Well, right? it, was, it was very quick. Like, we, Jesse Zubat and I mm -hmm. worked, like, dogs on that soundtrack. It was a massive, massive undertaking. And then like five days later we were in the studio working on club meds like from wow. from finishing up in berlin with these like 17 hour days you know we both were totally going crazy and then and then we came home and we started making this record but i think what was cool was that like my studio chops were happening because yeah. i just spent like months and months in studios uh doing really like intensive in the box production stuff so mm -hmm. in terms of like being able to communicate with Colin about what sounds I wanted to hear we could get that right away because it was sort of we were all I mean I was I was humming at that point I was just clipping oh along. good no it's good now you've got a record label started a little record label uh, you you guys involved? records no you're not involved not involved come on man you gotta get involved in this thing <laughs> like it is just start a band Johnny we'll, we'll sign <laughs> you <as well. laughs> oh okay yeah. what's going on with the label um so it's an imprint of arts and crafts basically it started because Astral Swans who's uh, been on this tour uh, I, Are they on this? Sh they're not on this show. Yeah, he's playing tonight. Oh, okay. Yeah, cool. Um, and I, he sent me these demos, these songs. I just thought they were really great, and so I started like sending them to people I knew who owned record labels, and nobody really bit. And I was like, I really want to help you out. I really believe in these songs, and um, so I said to Arts and Crafts, "What if, what if I start a label? Would you guys distribute it for me?" And they doubled down. They were sort of like, "Well, why don't we just do this together? You, you bring it into the fold. We'll give you like your own kind of." Um, you can do whatever you want. Sign who, sign who you like. Mm -hmm. So it's been great. So Astro Swans, the first record just came out. It's been getting amazing reviews, actually. It's a really beautiful record. I should check it record. out. I think it came my way. I feel bad. My dad, I can't keep track yeah. of anything it's, it's, anymore. It's, it's really, it's beautiful and subtle and honest and lo-fi. And it's got tinges of the 90s in it. But mm -hmm. um, it's really great. Um, and then we're, we haven't announced it yet, but we're going to put out a compilation for the Yellow Bird Project. Mm -hmm. And, uh, oh, for the Calgary, the, no, wait, yellow bird. What is that? Uh, they, they make t-shirts and sweatshirts and books and stuff. Oh, sorry. I was stuff. thinking of something else. They but need they, help. Uh, no, they, well, they, they raise money for charities. And stuff oh, like okay, that. okay. Um, and they do it all within the realm of like, you know, they've had Bonnie bear and the national and mm -hmm. Tegan and Sarah and lots of, lots of beach house and stuff. So they have all these bands that they kind of work with on all this stuff. So they put together a compilation of covers of Yellowbird bands. Oh, okay. So it's like Yellowbird bands covering other Yellowbird bands. Nice. Okay. And there's also Micah P. Hinson and Andrew Bird and uh, Astro Swans did one. They're all going to be on this thing? Yep. So oh, they're cool. all going to be on this compilation. Um, and that's coming out. We're going to announce that really soon. Okay. Um, and then, you know, little things like uh, Peregrine Falls, uh, Jordan Kenton's project, which is incredible. You have to see these guys live if you have the chance. It's like a just an onslaught of intensity. Um, and uh, I think there's a very good chance that that would come out on Matic Records as well. I've heard that it's coming out on Matic Records. It's coming out on Matic Okay, all right. <laughs> uh, what's sort of next for you and Blacksmith? Uh, what do you, you got, how many, how much more touring do you have to do? A lot? Uh, yeah, fair amount, I would say. Oh, it's uh, only, the record only came out in January, right? Yeah, so, yeah, we're yeah. Just, yeah, halfway through the Canadian tour, then we're going to Europe in April. 
and then summer festivals, and then uh, whatever happens in the fall. Yeah, know. dip down to the States a bit. Yeah. Sasquatch, field trip, festivals. Nice. And then uh, hopefully, yeah, yeah, what? I think what? we are playing. Yeah. Playing what? Uh, it hasn't been announced yet. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Okay. It'll be, it's going to be busy, you know, it's going to be back into the swing, but we're trying to only tour about three weeks at a time for the of sake of kids. family stuff. Yeah. yeah. And, and you're, you're not, per, nothing new is percolating. You're just focusing. I thought you were, were going to say, you're not pregnant again. No, are you pregnant again? Are you? <laughs> I personally am not no, pregnant. Okay. No. No, okay. That's just kind of a deflection. Uh, <laughs> no, I was going to ask if, uh, new songs, are you pregnant with songs? Um, I've, I've worked on new stuff specifically for projects. Like I, mm. I wrote a song for this uh, movie called The Valley Below that uh, came out. And um, there's been little things, but no, I don't have a bunch of songs for the next. I have no idea what's going to happen next. Or actually, when it comes to this band and these songs and stuff, I'm was, very curious. Was, uh, now that you're touring this record and you made, on some level, a more complicated record, let's just, for argument's sake, say it is, uh, does this this you are on a trajectory to do a thing and I'm not putting this in your head you make uh, the the crowd pleasing stuff you make the grittier thing then you make this kind of experimental record so to speak now you might be on the ups to swing back to simplifying things you know yeah. that could happen maybe it could I've thought I mean it's, it's crossed my mind that it would be interesting to make a record that involved no other people. That's what I'm saying. You know, this always happened. Yeah. This is just a historical cycle yeah. of a, a, a artist like blah 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 blah. I'm, yeah, there's like thirty five thousand things happening, yeah. and then they're like, you know what? I just want to do something. Well, and simple. even this record, like on a fortune, we had like you know a small orchestra recording, and it's like a tons of like strings and horns and woodwinds and stuff. And on this one, I was like, no, it's just got to be the band. Like it's yeah. it's just the band and Dave Grohl on this record. You know, <laughs> so it was sort of like you no, know, I just want it to be like isolated to these guys. Right. So I don't know. I, I, it's occurred to me that it would be really fun to just like do a project that is entirely a solo thing, you know, and I, I don't know what that would sound like, but it's, I knew it. It's I me. called it. I called it. I live and breathe. I know what's going on. I know what's going on in a mind like yours, Dan Mangan. I can tell. We're uh, going to have to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, uh, maybe the band would like that. Uh, all right. So for more information about you, I think people can go to what? Danmangan.com. Music.com and arts-crafts.ca probably is another place. That's another one. Is there a song from uh, Club Meds? Which Did we talk enough about the album? I feel like we did a little yeah, bit. Yeah, we talked lots about lots of oh, things. Lots of things. Okay, yeah, let's, we did. Let's play, let's play the song that Johnny wrote the music for. This is uh, Let's play Kitsch. Kitsch, do you want to say anything about it? Uh, that it's probably my favorite song on the record, but not just because I wrote it. No, it's because just, you wrote it. It's part. It's it's forty percent. It might be. It's it's a, it's definitely in a contention for my favorite song on the record too. It, I really like the song lyrically. Little sidebar, uh, kind of inspired by Milan Kundera's uh, unbearable lightness of being and his description of the word kitsch as it stands in early German slang, uh-huh. which is the idea of you know behind the facade of anything that we put on a pedestal, there is the sort of scaffolding in the back. There's, there's the bullshit behind it. Then we choose to see things with a halo on them and we choose to not see the holes in, in, in it. You mentioned Milan Kundera. You mentioned Margaret Atwood. There's what is, what's going on. You got a lot of lit stuff going on. Can lit. I, uh, well, Milan Kundera is Czech, I think. But. No, 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 no. Sorry. But I mean like I, I sorry. I mean, you had lit, you got can lit, yeah. you got world. These are books all throughout the record. 
Well, he's a, he's a new dad now, so he's got loads of time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I was listening to audiobooks as I was rocking the kid when he was really little. I, I listened to Steve Earle's new book. That's great. Oh, okay. okay. But uh, I, I think that in 2013, in the period before the kid came, but after the touring stopped, in those like six months, I, I did I read like a ton of books, and it informs various aspects I, of the record. I, absolutely, I, yeah. I'm just saying you purposely cited Margaret Atwood and, and Milan Kundera in the context of a conversation about your album. Mm-hmm. So that leads me to think that we didn't even scratch the surface about where well, there, what else there was. Going on. Yeah, there was like a bu- I read like several dystopian uh, novels. Okay, uh, I read I read a bunch of novels that I'd been meaning to read but hadn't. You know, I also read a book called The Birth Partner that teaches you how to uh, help your your wife sure. or partner go through labor. That was good. I wish I'd read something before the second kid came recently. Because the first time you do it, I don't know, if you, you, you have one kid? Yeah. First time you make the kid or the kid's coming out, you're all on top of it. You know what to do. Second time, you're just like, nah, did it. <laughs> and then the second time, I basically had to deliver the kid. <laughs> wow. Yeah, like the midwife was late and like, well. Oh, wow. I didn't end. I just froze. But I mean, if sure yeah. uh, within like the midwife arrived at four oh eight or four twenty eight a.m. I've already blanked it out, and then uh, the Ramona was born at four twenty nine or four oh nine or whatever the hell it was. So like within a minute of them arriving, I had to. Del- anyway, it's weird. So, but I can understand the book helps, doesn't it? The book definitely helps. People I was. Should read. I, I would really suggest that book to any. Uh, uh, father in weight or or uh, same sex partner in weight should that be the case very good very diplomatic uh, yeah I uh, it changed my understanding of labor and it uh, it increased my awareness of the stages to the point where I, I it was sort of like rather than it being this otherworldly thing mm-hmm. that I didn't understand I had a, an inkling of an understanding of what was going on and that meant that there was a lot less fear surrounding the whole thing do you want more kids I would, I would, I would like to have one more. It's kind of fun, isn't it? It is, yeah. It seems How's fun. the second one? It's great. Yeah. I'm enjoying it. I'm more on Levon. Dude. I'm on like my. I'm with my kid more. My yeah. my, my my boy. I mean, I'm, yeah. he's three and a half. So basically, uh, this tiny uh, daughter is uh, t- taking over my wife's body, mm-hmm. and which is bad. But I, uh, I'm <laughs> so selfish. Uh, yeah, I know. But now, yeah, it's just me and the boy, and it's good. He he loves stuff, and it's fun. Yeah, you're gonna cool. you're gonna have fun. All right, this is Kitsch by Dan Mangan and Blacksmith. Uh, guys, thank you so much for your time. Pleasure. It was nice to chat. Cheers. And, uh, you know, good luck. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks. Oh, dude.
Hey, thanks again for checking out Creative Control with Vish Khanna. You can email me about the show at creativecontrol933 at gmail.com. That's creative with a K, control with a K, 933 at gmail.com. You can also follow our Twitter at Vish Creative, V-I-S-H-K-R-E-A-T-I-V-E. And you can also like our Facebook page. A version of this show airs on CFRU in Guelph every Wednesday at noon Eastern. And you can listen to that online at CFRU.ca or if you're in the KW region at 93.3 FM in Guelph. You can also sign up for the weekly mailing list for the podcast and the, and the show at vishkana.com and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. I believe that is everything I wanted to tell you. Thank you once again. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.